Good morning, family. I know that as we sing that song to the Lord, that some of you who are sitting here this morning can't really say, Jesus, your name is like honey. It's so sweet on my lips. I just love, I love your name. I love you. I love talking about you. And that you can't say, your spirit is like water to my soul. It's refreshing. You know that drink of water after you've been out for a long time in the sun and it's just so good to go to the tap and gulp? And I want to say to you that it's my hope and it's my prayer that through this sermon, through this word from the Lord, and through the Lord's ongoing work here, that every single one of us can say, Jesus, your name is like honey, so sweet on my lips, and your spirit is like water to my soul. So the Lord has a message for us this morning, and it's not the message that I thought I was going to be bringing all week. We were um, going to go back to the Luke text, and yesterday morning I was um, in my office on my knees praying, um, just about to enter sermon preparation, and I was praying for one of you. And as I was praying, the Lord led my mind to this passage that we're going to open up and uh, just began to open it up before me. And I, and I got the sense that this is um, not just for one person, that this is for many and that the Lord, the Lord wanted to bring encouragement to us. So we're going to shift gears. I, I sense the Lord calling us to listen to this passage, even though, strange as it may seem, it's a passage that we've opened up in the last year. But uh, I was reminded by someone yesterday, uh, they said to me, Dave, when your kids don't listen to you right away, do you say something again? I said, yeah, I do. And they said, well, the Lord's like that too. When he wants to bring a message of encouragement, he'll say it again. So um, we're going to open this message, not by reading the scripture right away, but by doing two different things. It's about enduring hardship, perseverance, uh, adversity, sorry. And um, the first is we're going to read a question and an answer from a catechism that we use in this church. A catechism is a teaching tool. And um, you're going to read the question to me, and I'm going to read the answer to you. So all together. Oh, can you read that? It's kind of small, isn't it? It was big on my computer. I guess I'll read both parts. <laughs> and if you've got really good eyesight, this, maybe this is who's got 2020. So this is question and answer 26, and it says, What do you believe when you say, and these are the words of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And the answer is, I believe that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because he is almighty God and desires to do this 
because he is faithful father. Turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me. Would you flip the slide, Luke? Adversity is hardship. Adversity means suffering. It means having hard times. It means difficulty. Tough, rough conditions. It's going through times where we feel like we're facing strong resistance. Like whatever we're doing feels like we're climbing uphill. We're having to put a lot of energy into it. Like we're going against the current. Like there's always something pushing against us. Like we keep being disappointed. There's ongoing disappointment. And so I want to ask the question, what hardships have you experienced lately? And I'm going to actually give a minute of silence for us to call to mind those things that we've experienced in our lives that have been difficult. We all undergo adversity or hardship. It's part of living in this broken creation that's still affected by sin. And so maybe it's relationships that have been really difficult. Maybe it's physical health. Maybe it is um, inner turmoil that we're undergoing Maybe it's loss of physical things. Things that have been taken away from us. Maybe it's been um, other circumstantial things in our life that's been stressful, that's brought tears, that's brought frustration, that's hurt. And the Catechism teaches God will turn, He'll turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me. And when the Catechism teaches that, it's applying a scripture that many of us know well. That's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works toward the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose in Christ Jesus. And so the Catechism is bringing us comfort, right? Comfort as we consider God's work of turning hardship and adversity toward our good. But I want us to notice something. 
the catechism's talking about what God does. God works toward our good as we face hardship and adversity. What's our role? What do we do? How do we face? How do we endure through hardship and through difficulty? The Bible talks a lot about persevering. What else does it say? Well, here's our text. Can you flip the screen? You did already. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. I'm going to read that to us now. The author says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. The word of God. So the author of Hebrews says, endure hardship as discipline. And that's the concept I want to open up this morning because I think it's a concept that's foreign to many or to most of us, that God could actually be actively disciplining us through the hardship and the adversity that he allows in our lives. Endure hardship as discipline. And what happens if we're not used to thinking of hardship as God's tool for loving discipline. And the, what I want to um, do to open that up is, by tell, is to tell a couple of stories that I, I'm going to tie together. But here's the thing. If we're not aware of how God might work as a loving father through adversity and through discipline to build us up, to strengthen us, to discipline or disciple us, we can't play our role. We can't cooperate. So what we're asking this morning is what does it look like to endure and to cooperate with God and even to discern that he might be the one who's bringing or allowing this adversity or this hardship in our lives? Because God doesn't actively cause all adversity and all hardship. It takes discernment. Not every difficult thing that happens to us is being directly caused by the Lord. Right? So it takes discernment. But the Lord does allow and even sometimes bring adversity or hardship so that he can grow us as his children. So these two stories, and we're going to link them together. The first one comes from the late Jack Frost, and he tells this story in a book. He says, the, friend, the father of a friend of mine bought an old antique wooden 18-foot speedboat when Peter was a teenager. His dad was prosperous, a member of the yacht club, and wanted to showcase the boat before all his boating buddies. He soon took the old teak boat to a boatyard and asked them 
to spare no expense in restoring it to mint condition. It took months of painstaking labor to refinish all the wood, install new fittings, chrome seats and cushions, remove the old 100-horsepower inboard engine, and install a new one with 400 horsepower. Upon completion, it appeared to be a work of art, and the father couldn't wait to show it off to all his friends at the yacht club. In addition, he bought a brand new trailer to transport the boat and a brand new Jeep to tow the trailer. Then on a Saturday, during the middle of lunch hour, when all his buddies were eating at the Yacht Club restaurant, the father and son drove to the launch ramp and lowered the priceless antique into the water in front of all of his friends. A number of his cronies came over and with envy pleaded with him to take them on a trial run into the river, but the father reserved the honor for him and his son. He took off from the yacht club full throttle and did a few spins back and forth for all to see as he gloated over his prized possession. Then he came racing back to the dock in front of the restaurant and at the last second threw the gear into reverse at high RPMs, easing the boat to a stop. However, the force of revving up so much horsepower created a loud thud and water began pouring in from the stern the rear of the boat. Screaming at his son and friends to help bail out the water, he ran to get his new Jeep and trailer before the boat sank. Upon pulling the boat out of the water and inspecting the bottom, they found a huge hole in the keel at the stern. The exterior of the 50-year-old wood was varnished and looked like new, but the wood on the inside had dry rotted during the many years giving way to the pressures of the high-powered engine. Humiliated in front of his friends, the father's anger toward the workers at the boatyard exploded with verbal curses and accusation. Enraged, he commanded his son into the jeep, jumped in, and sped off toward the boatyard to give them a piece of his mind. In the meantime, blinded by his temper and embarrassment, he'd forgotten to strap the boat down to the trailer, and as he was speeding down the road, a person in the car in front of him suddenly slammed on the brakes. When the father slammed on his, the boat slid forward off the new trailer, went through the back window of the Jeep, and left the bow of the boat sitting in the driver's seat. The boat was destroyed, the new boat trailer mangled, and the new Jeep had sustained thousands of dollars worth of damage. And Jack says, the moral of the story is this. If you've not dealt with the dry rot in your life and God turns up the power, you're in danger of blowing your rear end off. (laughs) God is a good and he's a merciful and he's a loving father. And so he does indeed want to deal with the dry rot, the things that are beneath the surface. And so 15, 20 years ago, when I had um, just graduated from college, God began to do that in my life. And this is how it looked for me. It looked like on one Sunday I went out to play roller hockey and ended up um, face-to-face with my brother. You've heard a part of this story, and I was concussed. And the next Sunday we went out to play something else and I broke my hand. And so the next Sunday we went out for a hike and I slipped on a rock and I broke my elbow. And so after three weeks, um, I was concussed with two broken 
arms, and um, all I could do was sit on a couch like this, and I had to keep them both elevated. It was exceedingly painful, and, um, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even wash myself because I had casts on both arms. And a colleague of mine from the, pl- the counseling center where I was working at the time stopped by to visit me. She brought some food, and uh, she was encouraging me, and, and it was a real friendly visit. And then she said this. She said, she just kind of wandered offhandedly. She said, oh, boy, I wonder what God's doing in this. And I tell you, I did not show her this, but I got angry. I thought, what do you mean what God's doing? What do you, you think God's done this to me? I thought, don't. But I didn't say anything, and I couldn't go anywhere. And I had a couple of weeks to sit on that couch in front of that fireplace. And little by little, bit by bit, God began to work because I couldn't shake her words. They kept coming back to me. And what God began to do was to reveal to me that I had, like that boat, I had the, the veneer, the surface of a relationship with him. But that I didn't really know him very well. And that underneath that veneer, there was a whole lot in my heart and my life that I wasn't letting him get near. That was ugly. That was full of greed and lust and jealousy and bitterness and pride and envy. And he began to deal with that in tender ways, in loving ways. He began, as I allowed him to, to bring healing to my heart. And he brought that healing in such a way that I wouldn't get to the point where I was publicly humiliated the way that this boat driver was. But he was able to do that because by his mercy, I was able to recognize that actually this was him at work in my life. In my life, allowing this adversity, allowing this hardship, allowing physical suffering to get my attention. And so here's the question I want to ask us this morning. How aware are we of how God might be trying to work in our lives through circumstances that are difficult, that are adverse, that include hurt and suffering? Because the scripture that we just read says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Later on, however, God is able to bring a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. And training by it means or infers that there's an active participation, there's an active response on our part, that there's an awareness that there's training going on, and that we are responding to that training. And so when I think about that training process, I think about the training process that I'm undergoing every day and every week with my own children, which results every day in somebody ending up in timeout. That's one of the, one of the, the punishments that we use. And so timeout looks like this. You get, you get put into timeout, and, and we explain this is why you're having a timeout, and then you sit there for so many minutes, and you're supposed to be thinking about why you're in timeout. And then we come at the end of the timeout, and we have a little conversation, and we say, now, um, why did you have a timeout? And let me tell you about the standard reactions that um, we get, particularly from the younger three. I've seen a, transi- a big transition 
in the oldest? I don't know. I don't know. And I think, how could you forget? Four minutes ago, I clearly, we, we were eye to eye, and I explained, I even told you why this is happening. I didn't just give you this adverse circumstance that you had to suffer through. I actually told you why you were here. I don't know. I guess I'm not paying attention. You know, the next one is, the next reaction is, um, well, they repeat back to me what I shared with them. I'm here because of this, but I can see there's a parroting back of the words, but there's no heart change. And I say, well, you know, well, what about it? Tell me about what happened. And I'll get a redirect and we'll start talking about one of the other siblings and what they did. And I'm going, well, we're here, we're dealing with you, you know, and your heart and your life. Yeah, but. Or another standard reaction, and unfortunately this is all too common, before we get to the four minutes of time, I'll get the tears and the strong reaction and the, this isn't fair, and if you only understood, and... And I'll, I'll share some version of, you know, they'll say to me, um, I need to be doing, and it's what the other siblings are doing. In other words, I need to not be in this chair right now, in this circumstances. This isn't fair. I want out. And I'll say the same thing that my parents used to say. What you really need is to learn to love my voice and to obey it. No, what I really need is, and they'll proceed to tell me what they really need. And every once in a while, one of them might say, Dad, I know that you love me, and I see that you have a purpose for everything you do. So, Dad, would you please explain to me why I'm in this timeout and how I might respond differently next time? And when I say once in a while, I mean maybe every few months, maybe by the oldest. How many of you, let's just do a quick show of hands. How many of you have ever had someone that you're in authority over, whether a child or someone else, say a version of those words to you, and I'll just repeat them again. I know that you love me or that you care for me or that you're looking out for me, and I see that you have a purpose for everything you do. Would you please explain to me why I'm in a timeout and how I might respond differently next time? Anybody? Okay. Praise the Lord for those five or six. That's really few. Timeouts, disciplines, they, they have no value for our children if our children don't learn through them. So we've given hundreds, probably thousands by now. And um, the only value that is, that is found in those adverse circumstances, the suffering of not being able to go play with my friends or my siblings... Not being able to have that blanket that you took away. Not being able to 
have changed circumstances from what I'm undergoing and experiencing right now, the only value that comes out of it is when one of them can get to the point of saying, why am I going through this? And how would you have me learn? And what might you say um, to teach me? See that? There's no value if we're not asking. And so how is it that we ask God about what he's doing in our lives through these adverse circumstances, hardships, sufferings, difficulties? I want to show a little video clip that I think um, will help us to understand God's heart and why he allows some things that are difficult and works through them. And so might we, um, I'll just explain it real quick before you press, or is it going to start right when you flip it? Okay, Um, let me set it up real quick. We're going to be looking at um, some people on the side of a cliff videotaping two sheep that are stuck on a cliff and what happens to those sheep. Go ahead. So I think it's not a surprise to anyone here that the Bible um, uses the metaphor of God as shepherd and we're his sheep. That he shepherds us. He takes good, good care of us. But in order for us to live ongoingly inside of that good care, we need to be with the shepherd, with the flock. And which means that we need to be listening to the shepherd's voice. When the shepherd says, we're going this way, Stay away from that. Don't go there. Come here. That we're listening, that we're following, that we're attentive, that we know what the shepherd's voice sounds like. So this sheep has a shepherd. And it was not the shepherd's good intention for this sheep that it got stuck on a cliff and plunged to its death or to its great hurt. We don't know what happened to that sheep. But the sheep got itself stuck in that position because the sheep wandered away from the shepherd, from the shepherd's voice. The sheep hadn't learned yet to stay real close to the shepherd, to listen to the shepherd's voice. Sometimes when a sheep is young, and it hurts itself, and it needs to be cared for, a shepherd will actually pick that sheep up and just put it around its neck. And he'll carry that sheep through its hurt, its time of suffering. And through the process of being carried around the neck of that shepherd, the sheep grows very familiar with the shepherd's voice. It's that safe, loving voice, and they grow to know exactly what it sounds like. And when that one that was hurt and is recovering, is put down, then that one knows the shepherd's voice and learns to stay real close to the shepherd. But it was the hurt or the suffering that got that one picked up and put around the neck. I think that sometimes, I think that many times, I think that most of the time, when God allows 
suffering and adversity, what he's wanting to do is to draw us to that place of communion with him where we are ever attentive to the shepherd's voice. Where we are not wandering off. Where we are being trained to stay close to the shepherd. If we don't learn the lesson early, if we don't learn the lesson fully, then we can find ourselves in equally vulnerable places. I think that one of the reasons the Bible uses the metaphor of sheep is that sheep are vulnerable. They're not dumb, contrary to popular opinion. Actually, um, I've read that some breeds can be very intelligent. But even as intelligent as they are, they're vulnerable. And we are vulnerable people. We're vulnerable people who need the love and the care and the guidance of our good and loving Father. And our good and loving Father can give us that guidance as we stay close, as we stay tied to and attentive to His work in our hearts and in our lives. But the question I think He puts before us this morning is, um, are each of us giving Him the place to do that? When I um, shared the story of how God worked in my heart and my life 15 to 20 years ago, my Bible didn't look like this. It looked, it looked more like this one, this newer one. And the transition that had to take place in me was the transition of learning to seek God in everything and learning to trust the care of the one who would send his son and allow him to be broken, allow him to be crushed, allow him to be sacrificed so that I could become his child and to trust that love enough that I was willing to open up to that love of God the Father, even and particularly in hardship. And to know that he had good purposes, that he was wanting to work out in my life through that hardship. That as a good father, he could turn that adversity and that hardship toward my growing up into Christ. You see, I think that Most of us, when hardship and suffering um, comes along, if there's a spectrum of how we respond, we tend to respond more like the child being put in the timeout that says, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in these circumstances. Change my circumstances. Rather than, what are you doing? You love me. What are you doing? How are you at work? What can I learn? What do you want to teach me? Is there any way that you're trying to grow me as your son or as your daughter? The Bible says, no discipline seems pleasant. It's not pleasant for the toddler. It doesn't seem pleasant at the time. But later on, it produces this harvest, 
harvest of righteousness and peace. The Lord wants to fill our lives with righteousness that leads to joy and peace. And I think that as he calls us to submit to that loving discipline, that he would also call us to look at his example. And so I'll just close by reading earlier in that chapter 12, before the verses that we took as our text for this morning, the author says this. He says, let's put our eyes on Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And I I would highlight these words. Consider. Consider him. Consider him who underwent such opposition. So that you don't grow weary and lose heart when God's trying to make you like him. Because in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The fruit of Jesus persevering through adversity, through hardship, it brought him to death. But the fruit of his death is this river of life that we've all been invited into. And the Lord wants to work fruit through our lives. And that fruit is going to come as we persevere like Jesus. And so um, for us here this morning, that means that when physical illness comes into our life, when relationship difficulty, when things are taken from us, when we land up in jail, that we aren't, we aren't saying to the Lord, why am I here? Pout, pout, wine, wine. We're saying, oh good and perfect heavenly Father who gave your own Son for me, who so watches over me that not a hair from my head can fall without you knowing it. Oh good and perfect Father, what are you doing here and now? What are you doing here and now to make me more like Jesus? How are you producing a response of obedience, of worship, of joy, a response of trust. How are you growing faith? How are you strengthening me? How are you preparing me for future works in your service? How are you good and perfect and loving and holy Father from whom nothing is hidden? How are you at work helping me take the long view, not the short one? How are you at work right here and right now? Help me pay attention. Help me trust you. Help me submit. Father, work glory, work perseverance, and work for your glory through my life like you worked through your son Jesus' life. In the name of Jesus, amen.